Hello, and welcome to the OnTech Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTech Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Burton, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton, and I'm here today with Jack Carr. Jack is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author and a former Navy SEAL. He lives with his wife and three children in Park City, Utah, and he is the author of The Terminal List, True Believer, Savage Son, and his upcoming thriller, The Devil's Hand. Jack, welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Oh my goodness, thank you so much for having me. I always love when I have a book coming out, uh, not so much for the book launch, but because I know I get to talk to you, and I'm very serious about that. I read your books all throughout the year. I go back to them over and over for research, not just for what I'm writing, but even for posts uh, to answer questions and other interviews, uh, particularly about terrorism in the in the 80s that you were intimately involved with. Um, so thank you so much for, for being out there and uh, sharing your wisdom and experience with all of us. Jack, you're, you're way too kind. Uh, and I do want to thank you for acknowledging uh, Beirut rules and the devil's hand, which I have got to say is your best one today. Now share a little bit about the devil's hand for our listeners. Sure will. But hey, that means so much coming from you. Uh, and I sincerely appreciate that. This one was research heavy. And of course, I've read Beirut rules uh, many times. And when I go back and find myself trying to confirm something, uh, if it's just a paragraph I'm looking for, I always find myself going through so much more again, just to revisit uh, that time because it's uh, it, it was such an influential period in my life as a young kid growing up and seeing these newspaper articles coming out, the Time uh, magazine, Newsweek magazine covers, uh, watching Walter Cronkite on the news, and then that switching over a certain point to you know the other people that took over from him. But uh, those those articles, those magazine articles, newspaper headlines on terrorism, on uh, uh, 1979 Iranian Revolution, on the Beirut. Uh, marine barracks bombing, on kidnappings, on hijackings, uh, all those things left an indelible impression on me. Um, and uh, for this book, this one was research intensive. And for the other ones, I went to different places in the world. I went to Mozambique. I went to South Africa. I went to Kamchatka Peninsula, which is just south of Siberia in Russia. Uh, I like to go to these places, put boots on the ground so I can weave a little bit of that local flavor into the novels. Uh, this one took place in the continental United States for the most part and was very heavy on the research side of the house. So I needed to go back and study really what the enemy had learned from us from, let's say, 1979 up to 2001 and what they learned from us from 2001 up through today to include what they've learned from our response to COVID-19 uh, from the civil unrest uh, over the past summer or what seems to be irreconcilable political differences. Uh, they're not just observing these things and going about their day. They're taking lessons and incorporating those lessons into their battle plan. So for me, I wanted to say, hey, if I'm either, if I'm Iran, if I'm Russia, if I'm China, if I'm North Korea, if I'm a super empowered individual, 
if I'm a terrorist organization? What lessons am I taking from all that? And what am I applying to my plans going forward? So I thought about that in uniform. I think about that today. So that's really the basis of the devil's hand. Well, my goodness, Jack, uh, you've hit a home run with the story and the plot line. It's literally ripped from today's headlines. And I would like to wind back the clock a little bit. Help me understand how you develop your character, James Reese. You've heard me say this before. James Reese and Jack Carr are the new Jack Bauer. I know every time you say that, it just it warms my heart and I'm humbled. Uh, and it, it means so much to me, uh, particularly coming from you. But uh, as I created this character, uh, he has a background very similar to mine in that he was a prior enlisted SEAL sniper. He becomes an officer at some point. And then he's on his last deployment when the reader meets him in the first book, The Terminal List. And he knows that when he gets home, he's going to take care of his family. Family needs him. He's reached that point where his rank is such that he won't tactically maneuver guys on the battlefield again after this deployment. He's a troop commander, uh, which is uh, an 04 in the, the Navy, which is lieutenant commander. The other services, it's a major. But really after that, once you hit that 05 rank in the military these days, even if you're a commanding officer of a team, you're really a manager. I mean, you're a leader, but you're not out there kicking indoors with the guys anymore. You're back in a tactical operations center. You're uh, allocating assets, that sort of thing. Uh, and so my character, James Reese, was at that point, which is at the point I was when I started writing this. Uh, but I made him, of course, a much better shot than I ever was. Uh, he's a much better sniper, much better at boxing, much better at jujitsu, uh, much smarter, much stronger, much faster. Um, but he has a similar experience. So I got to tap into that. Uh, and bring in some of the emotions, some of the feelings behind certain things I was involved with downrange, and then apply those feelings and emotions to what's a completely fictional narrative. So I think that really made it stand out to Simon & Schuster because uh, they, they see thousands of these things each year, um, but it reads true because the feelings come from a real place. And I think that really uh, helped in getting it published and helped uh, in developing that, that readership and connecting with readers. Well, you've really hit a home run with the character, and I really, really enjoyed uh, his character development going back, reading through The Terminal List and True Believer and The Savage Son, and now The Devil's Hand. Jack, clearly your life has been certainly transformed with the leadership skills and your experience as a Navy SEAL. Can you talk a little bit about the training and some of the skill sets you learn in that capacity? Sure can. And what's, what's important, what's important to me in developing this character is that he didn't just learn these things by being in the SEAL teams. And uh, in his case, uh, when I started writing this, he was in for, for 16 years. That's, that's, that's kind of where I was when I started developing this, uh, this, this narrative. Um, but it was important that he was a student of weapon craft, a student of warfare, really a warrior from birth. Uh, and in talking to the, the screenwriters, the showrunners, the director, the actors in the upcoming Terminalist series, which they're filming now for Amazon, um, I wanted to make sure that somehow visually we told that story for the viewer. So when James Reese walks into his office, uh, I sent them a list of books that come from my personal shelves here that I'm looking at right now uh, that they needed to put on that shelf and put in a certain order so that visually the reader or the viewer could even pause it there and see the books on those shelves. And they weren't just something from a casting department or wardrobe or whatever this to put books on a shelf. No, there are very specific books that he's collected over time, that he has studied over time, 
that he had then added experience and training to to make him the warrior that he is today. It didn't just start when he enlisted in the military. No, it's been a lifelong journey for him as a warrior. So for me, that was uh, that was extremely important to to uh, to do that to make sure that we could visually show that this is he is a warrior from from birth. Um, and uh, and for me, that was that was extremely extremely important. Um, but as far as the training goes, uh, yep, in the military, sure, that's that's uh, that's what we came in to do in the SEAL teams and in most special operations uh, units. It, it, people go in because it's hard, um, because they know that attrition is high. They want to test themselves, serve their country, and uh, for me, that path was was into the SEAL teams. So uh, typically, that you get most of that eighty percent attrition in the SEAL teams during that first couple weeks up through Hell Week, uh, which starts on a Sunday evening and ends on a Friday afternoon and uh, people can, there's a lot of discovery channel videos and that sort of thing about, about that training. But, um, then you move into your, into your SEAL team and get more specific training and, uh, sniper operations, free fall operations, that sort of thing. And you start, um, you start learning the craft, you start establishing a reputation by, um, by what you do, by your act through your actions. Um, and that for me, it was a, a 20 year process and, and got out at the 20 year mark, 20 and a wake up, I say. And uh, then just followed my next passion, my next calling, which was to write, to write specifically thrillers. Jack, did you always want to be a SEAL and a writer? I did. I did from a very early age. I found out what SEALs were when I was seven. Um, my grandfather was killed in World War II, so I grew up surrounded by pictures of him with his squadron. He was a Corsair pilot, and uh, his, his wings and his medals and the silk maps that they used to give aviators back then, so if you hit the water... They wouldn't disintegrate the way a paper map would. Uh, so I just knew that I was going into the military, found out what SEALs were at age seven and started doing research. My mom was and still is a librarian. So uh, she took every opportunity she could to take us to the local library. And I uh, started researching SEALs, Army Special Forces, uh, CIA, uh, warfare, insurgencies, counterinsurgencies. And that never stopped. Just looking at my bookshelves in front of me, I have books that I got back then that are still on my shelf today. Um, so I just knew where I was going from a very early age, but also at that point in time, you could read everything out there on special operations. Um, there wasn't that much in the mid eighties when I was doing all this research. So I naturally gravitated to thrillers who had protagonists with backgrounds I wanted in real life one day. So books by Tom Clancy and David Morrell and Nelson DeMille and AJ Quinnell and JC Pollock and Mark Olden. And I, cause I learned from those books and I had such a great experience reading them, I knew that one day after my time in the military, then I'd write thrillers the way that these guys were. Uh, and they were really my my professors in the art of storytelling. That's amazing. As you were talking through your life, Jack, I, I hearken back to uh, the life of Bill Buckley, the CIA station chief, who also had spent a, a career in the field with the Green Berets and the Special Activities Division with the CIA, and he always wanted to be a soldier too. So uh, the parallels there to me are are very unique uh, when when you were outlining your interests. Now, as you look back on your career, Jack, did you practice the study of writing? Meaning, uh, I know it comes hard for me, uh, the research and putting pen to paper or typing on the typewriter or, or putting together an outline. It's hard work. It is. 
And for me, really the most important part of all this, though I didn't look at it this way at the time, but looking back, now I can see it, is I learned to do this by reading, by being a fan of the genre, by loving doing this research. Um, and on the nonfiction side of the house, the education that I, that I, I gave myself, um, all that came together with all that reading that I did, uh, then with the experience downrange, all came together at the right time and place as I started writing the first novel. Uh, and all that, none of it stopped uh, throughout my whole life. I've always been a reader. I'm reading that fiction. I'm reading that nonfiction that held true during my time in the military as well. And it holds true today. Um, also, in, in 1988, my mom um, sat me down and we watched uh, Bill Moyers do an interview with Joseph Campbell called The Power of Myth. And uh, it's a two-part series. They turned it into a, to a book later or a series of books later, I think. But uh, Joseph Campbell wrote Hero with a Thousand Faces. So I immediately read that book in 1988. Still have my original one today. And I think just subliminal. And so what he did was he talked about how cultures that had never had any sort of an interaction had similar mythologies. And they had this reluctant hero that would typically um, be called to action. He'd go on a journey along the way. He'd meet a mentor of some sort who would give him either a piece of knowledge or a tool. Uh, he would be tested in some sort of a crucible. And he'd then return to where he came to pass on those lessons to the next generation. So give or take, that was pretty much how a lot of these mythologies evolved and were passed, passed along. So I was just, uh, just captivated by this, especially as a young kid learning that uh, Joseph Campbell influenced George Lucas for Star Wars. Uh, and I think I applied it to everything that I read or watched uh, from then on. So that became a part of me, but I didn't look at it as, hey, I'm studying this so that one day when I'm a writer, uh, I'll be able to tap into that. You know, it was all, all a passion, it was all a calling, and I just happened to listen to my two callings, one, serve my country in uniform, and two, write fiction the way I am today. So I feel very fortunate that I heard those callings early, because I think if I just woken up one day in the military or near the end of my time in uniform and thought, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to try this writing thing. Uh, it would be a very different experience than had I grown up the way I did, reading these people the way I did, these authors that I read, who, who are, a lot of them are still around today and we're now friends, like David Morrell, who created Rambo back in 1972. We talk weekly and he's just a fantastic guy, just amazing. So for me, it's surreal to have these people that I looked up to as heroes uh, now as, as friends today. But, uh, but had I not grown up that way, I think starting cold, I mean, not to say you can't do it, but it would be a different experience. And for me, I get to take really a lifetime of reading uh, both fiction and non, and then take that 20 years in the military and apply it all to these novels. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about OnTIC's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. That is why we created the OnTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. We are regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights, lessons learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.ai slash center. That's ontic.ai slash center. Jack, I had this conversation with uh, our mutual friend, 
Brad Thor not too long ago, and he's uh, certainly been extraordinarily generous to me, and I know uh, he's a good friend of yours as well. And you and I both know in our field, in our genre, in the in the veteran military space, the corporate security space, the special agent space, that there's a lot of downtime and folks love to read. So I had to leak it to a couple friends that I was going to have you on our podcast. And I think people are always kind of amazed as to how folks that are actually downrange or setting in a follow car or conducting surveillance or, or working a midnight shift in a down room they're reading Jack Carr thrillers. Wow. It's, so it's amazing when I hear those stories because I remember reading uh, Vince Flynn's Term Limits on the way to Afghanistan. I remember reading uh, Brad Thor's The Lions of Lucerne on the way into Ramadi in, uh, in 2005. Um, and for me, I never, took, I never uh, played video games or really watched movies downrange. Now, a lot of guys would... Video games, when I, uh, when I came, came through here, were very popular and after a mission you know we do the, the debriefs and hot washes and all those things uh and a lot of guys would go and they'd play video games i think it was splinter cell was popular in the beginning but uh i forget what it morphed into over time but these first person video games guys would go or even guitar hero i remember guys just going and doing that and i never did that all i would always go and read um that was really not even an escape downrange because they were all everything i was reading was about making myself a better leader a better operator, uh, even the fiction that I would read, because I know that these authors that write thrillers, uh, and specifically from 2001 onward, uh, they did research. And uh, for me, that part of reading those novels uh, really, really helped or would key something off or make me want to research something in the nonfiction space that maybe I hadn't heard of before or thought of in that way. So uh, I was always reading downrange, and um, it's just a, a natural, natural part of, uh, of who I am. But I do get direct messages all the time. I get emails all the time that say, hey, I've, I've never been a reader, but I uh, was introduced to your, your books through however they found out about them and how they love reading. They've read them all and they want to know who to read next and, and that sort of thing. So that really, that makes me smile. And I, I really like hearing that. And then you're right. I've heard from a lot of people specifically going through uh, getting ready to go to BUDS or getting ready to go uh, or, or they're in SEAL training. Um, telling me that they're reading the novels. And uh, I never really thought about that as I started down this path. Um, I just focused on, on creating the, the best possible novels that I could. But when I hear that, uh, I think about my experience and my experience was similar in that I was always reading. So, uh, so that makes me happy. Yeah, I can vividly recall Jack uh, transiting across the North Atlantic on either a hostage debriefing or a case and having a Lacare novel in my bag to have something to read because I could never sleep on airplanes. So uh, you have really kind of influenced uh, not only a, a current generation of uh, operators and agents and security professionals that greatly look forward to your next release. And I know that uh, these books are a lot of hard work to, to put out. Are you working on your next book or are you just trying to get through the devil's hand now <laughs> well it's certainly taking a, a lot getting ready for this launch uh coming up here april 13th but uh i am i'm working on that fifth book right now and i start it the next day as soon as i'm there's a little bit of overlap 
because I want to make sure, I, and usually I know exactly where I'm going. So for even book five right now, I know what books, I know beginning, middle and end of book six. Uh, and that helps me write book five because I don't have to waste any bandwidth worried about where I'm going next. I can say, okay, I know where I'm going next. Uh, I know some things that I have to weave into this storyline here. Because um, you want to give the reader enough resolution that they feel uh, that, that they feel like they they got to, they got to the end and they feel like the situation was was uh, was resolved. But you want them to also look forward to that next book. Uh, so for me, I think it's important to know where I'm going. So point being, I am in the middle of book five right now. And this one, I need to go and do some boots on the ground research in a couple of different places that I have not been. And I'm hoping COVID restrictions lift in a couple of these different countries and I'm allowed to, to get out there. Even if it's closer to the end of the summer when the book is essentially done, um, I can still go there, put boots on the ground, and then weave some of that local flavor into the storyline as I go back and edit that first rough draft. So, um, so I'm excited to do that. And hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll be able to get out there at the end of the summer to one of these countries anyway. Well, when I finished up The Devil's Hand, and I won't spoil it for anybody out there, you did leave me hanging <laughs> and I can't wait for the follow-up, but uh, I do have a question that I have to ask you that came from one of your fans who's a mutual friend of mine. And he wants to know, what does Jack Carr have for everyday carry? Uh -huh. So it does change a little bit based on, um, on what, where I'm going and what I'm doing. But for the most part, I've been carrying that SIG P365 um, for the last year plus now, I think. But, uh, but at times, I do also like this new AXG Scorpion from SIG because it feels like I'm shooting my old SIG P226 that was on my side for every deployment. Um, but I do have uh, quite the arsenal from which to choose um, these days. So, uh, so I do switch it up every now and again. But uh, those are the two go-tos and have been for uh, that 365 for the last year and then that AXG Scorpion for the last few months. Uh, I think I shot it in the fall out at SIG, got it soon thereafter. What about what kind of knife do you carry? Uh, so I carry a fixed blade, um, either the Dynamis, um, uh, the Dynamis blade, which goes in appendix carry, or the Amtac Northman, which you can clip in your pocket. And for those, I don't use those for anything at all, uh, except fighting, if it came down to that. Um, so those ones, I know they're sharp. I know where they are. I know I didn't just use it to cut a bunch of rope and boxes open and that sort of thing. And then I get distracted by the kids and forget to sharpen it. So those never come out uh, except when need be. Uh, so I carry a folder that I do those day-to-day -day things with that, hey, if I open a thousand boxes uh, and I forget to sharpen it, it's not the end of the world uh, if something else were to happen. So I have those two with me um, at all times. And the folder switches up to depending on what kind of pants I'm wearing or what I, what's, what's new to the collection and I want to try out. Um, so I have a few different folders or <laughs> more than a few <laughs> different folders uh, that I kind of switch out in between. And I know your website is amazing. I think it's one of the best in the business when it comes to not only books, but just gear and equipment and so forth. Thank you. Yep. So if people want to go deep dive and I, I do some pretty uh, detailed descriptions in the novels, but if you want to get even deeper into some of the things that I used in the past, the uh, Mark 11 or Mark 12 sniper weapon systems, uh, the, the Echoes Legend, which is featured in the, the first novel, which is a bolt action 301 mag in this case. Um, they can go to the website and there's some deep dive blogs on there. And then for books too, I have a reading list that comes out every month. And I have a very robust reading list I was asked to put together for the Naval Special Warfare Center 
uh, before I left the military. Um, so I took that and I added to that. Um, and then I put six of those selections on my website each month. So I get a lot of requests for, hey, what should I read? Or do you have any recommendations? And uh, the website and those blogs are the way to, to go. And I talk about where I was, when I read them, how they impacted me either as a combat leader or as an author. And I uh, give a little background in there, a little bit of context uh, so people can make some uh, some decisions. And uh, they're not necessarily for people to read all six every month. It's uh, it's options. And I'm a big fan of options. Yeah, I enjoy that immensely. I look forward to that all the time. Keep them coming. Jack, uh, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to say? Oh, maybe. Uh, let's see. We talked a little bit about the 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 series coming out, and that's been a whole new experience. Uh, adapting the uh, the first novel to uh, a visual medium, so it's an eight part series for Amazon. They're filming right now. The only person I ever wanted to star in it was Chris Pratt, and the only person I ever wanted to direct was Antoine Fuqua. And uh, they have teamed up to do this. So uh, so it's really interesting for me to uh, to be a part of that process and try to bring this to bring this to life. So you know, we'll see. I guess you never know until it actually airs if uh, how good it's going to be. But uh, but I'm hopeful and uh, and I'm very thankful to all the readers who took a risk on me as a new author, because there's thousands of books out there that come out every year. And for people to take a risk on me and then tell a friend, um, that's really what has, what's, what allows me uh, to do what I love to do. So uh, to all those readers out there that took a risk and told a friend, uh, my sincere, my sincere thanks. I'll never forget it. Well, I can't wait for that series. Uh, like I said, Jack, you are the new Jack Bauer. Wow. Well, thank you so much. That that means more to me than I can than I can possibly express. So thank you so much. Sincerely appreciate it. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on and uh, looking forward to doing it again soon. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.ai slash center. Again, that's ontic.ai slash center. It was produced by A.J. McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smoke and Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.ai slash center for more information. And thanks for listening.